years ago, I uh, had the privilege, uh, Amy Persfield is a part of our band, her husband Jim, uh, along with uh, several other people uh, from around the Chicagoland area, went with World Vision to Kenya and to see the work that World Vision does in Kenya, providing clean water and schools and education and all the things that World Vision does. And uh, my wife and I, since we met and got married, we've sponsored a child through World Vision, one of the ways that they provide what they do around the globe. Um, and they're probably the best at what they do um, humanitarian-wise around the globe, uh, is you can sponsor a child. And so for 30-some-odd dollars a month, you can give clean water and education and sanitation to a child in a developing country around the world. And we've done that for, for close to two decades now. And so a couple years ago, I got to go, and, and I got in the back of a land cruiser with some other folks uh, down a bumpy road. The roads in Kenya are terrible. And we rode in t- for hours, when I say hours, hours into the middle of nowhere. Uh, we drove past uh, the stereotypical African hut that you would think of when you think of Africa. Drove past all that. And then out in the middle of nowhere is this, this appears this building, uh, this small building that had been built inside an office. And we go in, and in Kenya it's very formal when you greet people. So we, we had this whole long greeting process all the way around. They offered us some tea and it's full of sugar. It's basically sugar and like that much tea. Uh, delicious. And we had some of that. And uh, then they told us about what they do. And on the board, in the middle of nowhere, Kenya, are the number of kids that they want to give clean water to. And the number of wells they want to build. And the number of families they want to impact. It just blew me away. Because I'd always loved World Vision. They're one of my favorite organizations that in the name of Jesus goes and does Uh, these kinds of things and cares for the people that nobody else cares for just blew me away so I'm so proud that as a church they're one of our partners in serving the world now we take it really seriously as a church we take our mission seriously we're we're, we make disciples who love God we want you to uh, understand there's a God that made you and created you and loves you and you can love God in return it can change everything about you we want you to make disciples who love God and love people. You can, get, you can deal with your junk and actually let someone else in and begin to trust them and get closer to people and have a better marriage and be a better parent. And all. But then also make disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. So that's why we have back-to-school fairs and a community garden. But we, we serve this world here, but we want to serve the whole world because God loves the entire world. So today, uh, Rusty Funk from World Vision, one of my friends, uh, is here, and he's going to talk to us about where Jesus is inviting us to go and, and, and encourage you to say yes to that, and we're going to do a series starting next week about that more in more detail. Uh, but as he comes, would you just give him a real-life welcome? Tell him thanks for being here. Thanks, Jeff. All right. So good to be here today. Can you guys hear me Okay. It's always a little awkward to be the guest speaker. Um, I'm a relational person. I like knowing people, and I don't necessarily know you, and you don't necessarily know me. Uh, that's, it's awkward for me. And so I thought we'd like rip the Band-Aid off and get to know each other through a time of confession to start our time together. Everyone just got real. I saw a dude in the back like, like tense. I didn't mean you confessing. I mean I'll confess a couple things, and then you get to know me a little bit better. Confession number one. My name is Rusty Funk, but I don't live up to the coolness of it. I'm going to answer the three questions you're thinking. No, I'm not in a band. No, I don't play the guitar. And no, I can't sing, dance, or do anything artistic. It is the waste of a last name to have the last name Funk. In fact, you can ask the people right down there that heard me worshiping. I love worshiping my Jesus. But I don't necessarily know if the people around me love me worshiping my Jesus, if you know what I mean. 
can't sing, can't clap, definitely can't do this, the two things at once. That's, I just don't know how that works. Confession number one. Confession number two, this one's a little bit more real, but maybe still funny, is I hate public speaking. <laughs> I hate it with a passion because it scares me, because it's new for me, because it's, it's, it's a responsibility that I don't like to, bur- to, to bear. In fact, I got my degree at past, at, uh, I got my degree at Olivet Nazarene University, just south of here in Kankakee, and I knew that God was moving my life, so I, I'm going to go get my pastoral ministry degree. I want a shepherd. I want a pastor. My sophomore year came, and I saw that next year as a junior, I had to take these classes called preaching, preaching 101 and preaching 202. Uh-uh. <laughs> I got to get out of that. <laughs> Scared to death. Figured my way out. That I went home. I li- Born and raised in Arizona, I went home for the summer and found a Christian junior college where I got to take preaching classes where nobody knew me. Came back the next year, graduated in two years, and no one once saw me preach. <laughs> so in light of that, I think we should start this sermon with some prayer. <laughs> God, we uh, invite you into this space. In fact, we need you in this space. We know you're here already. God, you have made February 12th of 2017 for a purpose, and you have us here for a purpose. God, I don't know the past six days that have led people to this, and I don't know what their next six days look like, but I know for the next few minutes we are here. And so our prayer today is that you give us hearts that are open to your words, and you give us words that are not mine or anybody else's, but are yours. Let us worship you through reading of your scripture and telling stories and find out where you want us to go from here. In your name we pray. Amen. Like I said, I don't know if I told you guys, but I'm scared of public speaking. So when Scott shot me an email about a month ago and said, hey, instead of doing the normal Team World Vision announcement, why don't you give the sermon? I'm glad he didn't call me because you would have heard me go, <gasps> and so I took some time. But I knew I had to say yes to this because there was something there that, a continual theme of my life where God's calling me to do things that are very uncomfortable, that, that are new, that are scary, that are dangerous. And so I, I knew I had to say yes, but then I knew I had to spend a lot of time Reading, on, reading scripture and preparing because Scott teaches here most weeks and how am I going to fill those shoes? And so I dove into scripture for weeks at a time, figured out where God wants to lead. But then I found the inspiration for today and some of them were one of, I think, the weirdest places. Sports center. <laughs> Anybody here like football? Anybody here like the Pittsburgh Steelers? Oh. All right, we'll talk later. Meet me in the back. No, I didn't mean that. There was this amazing commercial on a little while ago, and I saw it replay on the internet just a few weeks ago about Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown is an incredible athlete. He's one of my favorite players. He's a wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He is incredible at the sport. In fact, he he holds a number of different records as a wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers. This commercial came on, and all of a sudden, Jesus tugged at my heart and said, that's the direction you need to go. And it's weird to say that it came from SportsCenter. We're going to go ahead and play that commercial. I want you to look for things that are there that we're going to point out the rest of the time. Thank you very much. Okay, bye-bye. Eight receptions today. You made a phone call? Yesterday I had 109 receptions. A few more could have broken the record. What record? They're phone calls. I'm sorry, is this the reception desk or the phone call desk? Reception desk. Thank you. Excuse me. ESPN Antonio speaking. Hold on, I'll put you right through. For those of you who, like, saw that commercial and didn't necessarily know what was going on, Antonio Brown, who's a receiver in football, was now being a receptionist 
outside of his comfort zone doing something different. And there were elements up there that, like, yeah, we got the screenshot up there. There are three elements of that commercial. I laughed, first of all, and I, I still laugh. It's incredibly witty and funny. But there's three elements of that commercial. I think we could throw the slide up on the screen as a screenshot of it that I want to point out and that are going to guide our conversation today. The first is, did you notice his helmet in the background? I saw that, and the more I read into this and the more I saw this, I said, here's a man who's incredibly good at his craft. That he's taken a risk, but he's conquered it, and he's mastered it, and he's comfortable playing football. He's so comfortable. He dominates that space. But to move into this new space, he had to remove his helmet. He had to put it aside and say, this comfort zone, this helmet of comfort that I'm used to, I have to take it off and put it aside. I have to put it aside. This is no longer there. Even though I'm still receiving phone calls, this is a new area. He moved into a vulnerable space of newness. The second thing I saw is as soon as, you've probably felt this before, if you've ever left your comfort zone helmet, Neil Everett is the sports center anchor who's kind of leaning over the desk right there. As soon as he moves into that space, Neil Everett starts speaking words of doubt to him, saying, this is not you. This is not the same type of reception. Don't count that. That doesn't count. You've never done this before. Sometimes in our life, those voices of doubt are real people like Neil Everett from the Sports Center. Sometimes they're just voices of doubt in our own hearts that we can't escape. But as soon as we go outside of our comfort zone and do something new, there's voices of doubt that are just telling us that this is not what we're supposed to do, that we're not good at this. This is not us. This is crazy. Go back to doing what you're supposed to do. And the third element I love, and I may be reading too far into this, theologically reading into Sports Center commercials, but at the very end, he goes, all day. All day. What Antonio Brown does in that moment is he speaks truth to the powers that are, that are trying to hold him down in life. He speaks truth to the powers that be, and he says, no, 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 no. I know I'm outside of my comfort zone helmet. I know there's voices of doubt. Some of them are in my head and some of them are real, but I'm called to be here. I'm going to be here all day. This is what I'm called to do. It's not easy, but I'm going to be here all day. And so that is where I want to go today is figuring out those moments when we have our comfort zone opportunity to to put it to the side, face the voices of doubt, the Neil Everett's of the world, but know that our calling is before us. Know that this is where we're supposed to be. And I'm not sure about you, but if I look back, if you all just take a second, pause your brains and look back, you'll see times in your life when you said yes to something that was hard. Yes, it's something that was new and difficult. And you saw God show up in a, an amazing way and do things out of that moment. Man, for goodness sake, the video of the garden, that was amazing. At some point, I don't know how many years that's been going on, that was a new idea that was scary and risky. Doing a garden, a community garden, that's weird. What's that about? But did you see the, the, the faces of joy from Eric and Shane and Mike as they were describing what God's doing through them now that they're out of their comfort zone, doing something different? And I think when we look at those memories of our life, we see where where we've said yes to something scary, said yes to something new. Most of the time, they were when we were younger. And as we get older in life, don't we say yes less? Don't we pass off those opportunities of risk more now that we get older and older? And I started to think about this. I said, man, when was the last time, like Antonio Brown, I took off my comfort, said yes to a new thing? And I think as we get older, it's not because we have no desire for risk or we have no desire for faith, or we have no desire to get off the couch and get in the game and start serving at our church. I think as we get older, those voices of doubt, those Neil Everett voices of doubt, they start to get so loud that they actually invade our helmet. So they don't just attack us and attack our self-esteem when we leave our comfort zone. They're now inside of our comfort zone telling us to never leave. Do not take that helmet off. 
And as adults, they come in forms of things like kids and life and jobs and finances and aging bodies and just beat up souls. Today, this is what I believe I'm called to specifically challenge you with and, and I'll be honest, challenge myself with by sheer nature of being on this stage. Is that God continually calls us to say yes to him, to get involved. And whenever think, we think we are involved, he's calling us to do something more for him and his kingdom. And when we do that, our lives are changed forever, and the trajectory of where we thought we were going is not the same trajectory. Says the guy who, who said no to <laughs> preaching class 10 years ago, and as I stand here on this stage, I praise God that we serve a God who, even if we say no in the past, we start fresh today, right? We start fresh today. And he's asking us to say yes to things today. He doesn't care if we said no in the past. doesn't care that if I tried to get, out, get, get my way out of preaching class 10 years ago. Doesn't care that I ha that for the last ten years I've been serving in ministry, but not being a pastor. Still offers the opportunity to say yes. Sometimes through weird things, like a friend emailing you saying, "Why don't you come preach at Real Life Community Church?" He never gives up on us to say yes and get involved. You know, when I graduated college, I, I moved to the city of Chicago, and I did not want to be a pastor. I think we established that because I didn't want to speak publicly, but I wanted to serve and get involved. So I started working at a local homeless shelter. Uh, that was super still outside of my comfort zone, but in a different way. And that first year out of college, the world just slaps you upside the face, and you realize what it's like to actually be an adult, and you're like, holy cow, this is hard. <laughs> At the same time that was happening, I had some relational loss, and I had uh, just some weird things that I won't go into the details that happened in my life. Three months in to my new job at this homeless shelter, I found myself just depressed. And if any of you have ever dealt with depression before, you don't need me to describe what that feels like. I found myself going to church because I knew I was supposed to, but I went to church and I sat in the back and I waited for that, you know, that moment when the, the dude gets done speaking and then there's probably one more song or one more benediction. That's when I would beeline it out because I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to look him in the eye. I was... If you're here today and that's you, I know what you're going through. In the spring of 2008, I was sitting in church feeling that same way. And some dude in an orange jersey got on stage and invited the church to run a marathon for kids in Africa. And those voices of doubt, those Neil Everett's in my life, they got like hyper mode. They got like turbocharged. They preached a one-hour sermon of self-doubt in like two seconds. Rusty, you're out of shape. You're overweight. You're not a runner. That's crazy. You're dealing with a lot of stuff right now. You can't even get out of bed in the morning sometimes. You can't serve the guys at the homeless shelter. How are you going to serve kids in this other world? Don't go to that meeting. There's no way. That's not for you. I have no idea why I said yes to go to the info meeting after church that day. And I have no idea why I said yes to sign up for a marathon that day. But by saying yes, God changed my life in a crazy way. I started to learn how to run, walk, and run with my church team that summer. I started to lose weight and get in shape. I started to feel the confidence of Christ restored my soul through the weirdest of things, running a marathon. And on October 10th, I think, no, it was October 11th of 2008, I crossed the finish line of my very first ever marathon. And the, I tell that story because when you say yes to God, you have no idea where that's going to go. And now I find it kind of ironic and weird and just kind of silly <laughs> that I'm now the guy in the orange jersey. I'm now the guy inviting you into that same journey. And what's crazy about it is you have no idea the trajectory of your life 
will go when you say yes to things like that. And you also have no idea of the amazing people that you'll get to meet. I think we've got a slide here of our team from real life. This is last year's team. You know what? Forget it. If you've ever ran an event with Team World Vision here at Real Life, would you just stand up for a quick second? I want to see where you're at. Just go ahead, stand up, stay standing. That's awesome. These people... These people at one point said no to this, had all those voices of doubt, but said yes, and that has transformed their life. And I want to show you something. You guys can have a quick seat. Over the last five years at Real Life, these people have not only transformed their own lives by saying yes, by removing that, help, that helmet of, of comfort, by facing those doubts, they've also changed the lives of over 6,000 kids in Africa. Scott told you he's got to meet some of them. 6,000 kids now have lasting, life-giving, clean water because of those people. And we got a picture of one of them. This is my sponsored child. His name is Francis. First time I met Francis was in 2014. And when I met him, him and his brothers were in a real rough spot with their mom. They couldn't go to school because there wasn't clean water. They also had some sicknesses. Uh, unfortunately, actually, one of Francis' little brother didn't make it uh, past the age of three because of the illnesses that were brought about from dirty water. But the people in the room that just stood up were part of a movement that said yes to something scary. It said yes to God's calling to do something outside of their comfort zone. And check out what happened because of those people. The next slide shows you one of World Vision's many water projects. World Vision provides more clean water than anybody else on the planet. And they do it in the name of Jesus. It's sustainable, life-giving. Last year, two million people got clean water. Two million different people than the year before because of crazy runners and crazy, crazy donors who did crazy things like that. What you're looking at here is called a slow sand filter. Most people, when they see or hear water, they think wells. That must mean wells. We do sustainable things that are much bigger than just wells. Behind this camera, the person taking the picture, is a lake. In that lake is an intake valve that pipes water into these two holding tanks. Right there in those two holding tanks, you see one is being cleaned. That's why they have two, so they can clean one and operationalize the other. It's a system of boulders and smaller boulders, then rocks and smaller rocks. Sand and then finer sand and microorganisms that naturally filter water as clean as you and I drink with no electricity. From there, they pipe that with no electricity through gravity-fed pipelines that go up and down mountains. I asked how they go up and down if they're gravity-fed because the pipes get smaller. 7,000 people have clean water because of that water project right there. And at this point, some of us have the temptation to think that God moves through us and that's how the world works. That he moves through us in the U.S. and that's how the world works. Next slide. That's not true. Everybody else out, out there has been called to say yes too. This is Ronald Amalo. Ronald's one of my friends. He's the water engineer in charge of that project. Ronald is my age, but he has two master's degrees and he's working on his Ph.D. in like hydroponics, water engineering. I don't even know the name of his Ph.D. program. The dude could get a job in any country he wanted to. He'd come to the States and land a six-figure job within a week. He's brilliant. But he's chosen to stay with his people, to serve his people, to build water projects in Kenya. And when World Vision, when we do our work, we are not a Western-driven ministry. We allow those who are born in that community, those who live in that country, to say yes to what God's calling them to do. Sorry, I get a little distracted seeing Ronald. He's also a horrible singer like me. And we spent many hours in a Jeep singing in sync. And that has nothing to do with anything. But my mind just went there. I have a little bit of ADD, so I've got to bring that back. <laughs> so as I prepared for today, God did bring two scriptures on my heart that I have passed over for years and years. And these scriptures, I, I, like, 
I like reading scripture that we kind of just think we've already read. I like meditating in it and seeing what we've missed. And this first one here from Luke is what I want to, uh, uh, one of the two scriptures for today. This is a very common passage, which Jesus is talking, and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amen is right. That's a beautiful passage. Jesus is our lifeline. He is our connector. He's our mediator. He connects us to God in our brokenness. He is fully God and fully man at the same time, and he bridges that gap for us. But what we don't see is if we gloss over that, the importance of the words he uses there, those action words. Jesus says, I am the way, meaning I am the action. I am the service. I am the movement. I am the do. You have to do something. I am the do. I am the say yes moment. I am the truth. I have scripture here that will guide you to truth. And I am the life, the kingdom here on earth now and also for eternity. But for some reason, me, and I think you might agree that you do it too sometimes, but especially in the American church, we flip the order of those words. We spend all of our time in truth and we bathe in truth and that is important. And we debate on it and we sit behind a screen and we argue with people on Facebook and we do things like that. We make sure that we're right and everybody else is wrong. We, we focus on life and how good we need life now and how we will get to heaven someday. And occasionally we say yes to the way. Occasionally we do something. We get involved with our church ministry. We do things like that occasionally. But I think God, we put those in that way. I think Jesus said those words in that way because he knew we would have the hardest time with the word way. And that we'd have a tendency to just throw it to the side and say, well, I'm going to study I'm going to make sure I'm right, and then I'm going to heaven, and it's going to be all good from there. That's why I put it first, I believe. Second piece of scripture that really jumped out for me in the last couple weeks was found in Matthew. And, and to set the scene here, some of you guys know this. Jesus' best friend was John the Baptist. And, and he, like I said, he was fully God, but he was also fully man. And he had just found out as a man, as a, as a person with feelings, that his best friend had be, been beheaded. Jesus, in that moment of grief, tried to escape his ministry. He was talking to people. He found out he tried to, like, have a space to grieve, but the people followed him. When the people followed him, his disciples stepped up as, like, his best friends would and said, hey, hey, give him space to grieve. Let, let the man grieve. And Jesus said, no, <laughs> let them come here. And then they said, they pushed back again. They said, Jesus, but they're hungry. They need to go home and get something to eat. And he said, bring them food. And he said, well, we only, we only have this many loaves and this many fishes, but we can't feed all these people. And then what takes place is the feeding of the thousands, right? Right then and there. He says, bring the food to me. And that's where we pick up the passage. He says, bring them here to me. He's talking about the fish and the loaves. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food. And breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. Again, a very common passage of scripture that we've known since we were kids, how, how miraculous Jesus was, that he could perform miracles and feed everybody. But when you look deeper in that, at least when I look deeper in that, I find four things that he's telling me to do. He's saying, Rusty, I want to take you. I want to take you. What that means is that I want to save you. I am your savior. I want to take you. That's a beautiful thing. I want to bless you. I want to make sure you know that you are mine and I am yours and that you are okay. I want to forgive you of your sins. I want to take you and bless you. But Rusty, I want to break you and give you too. And just like the other passage, I tend to see the parts of it that I like and parts of it that I don't like. I don't know if you're the same. Taking and blessing sounds great. God, take me as I am. 
with all my faults and all my sins. Take me as I am and bless me for sure. But I don't know about that breaking and giving part. That sounds a little outside of my comfort zone. It sounds like I'm going to have to say yes to something that makes me remove my helmet of comfort and do something that's just not who I am and a little harder. That's what sanctification is. It's a purifying of doing, of a purifying of being broken by God and given out. And the crazy part is it's not a bad thing. I didn't say this in the last service, but I love this analogy. That I think my walk with Jesus can be summed up in the analogy of an eighth grade dance. Is there any eighth graders in here? I know we got our junior hires in here today, our middle schoolers. I had a rough time in eighth grade. Eighth grade dances were not the funnest thing for me because what I saw was me and like 99% of my, my students, my, my classmates on the wall, like I don't know what to do. A couple people were dancing in the middle, right? I wanted to dance. I saw what that was like, but I didn't know how to dance. And I think in our Christian walk, that's how it is. Like Jesus wants us out there dancing with him, dancing in his love and in his action, his service, and saying yes to that. We don't know how to do it. And we come to church and we do these good things and we check the box and we read our Bible. That's like bringing cookies to the dance. <laughs> so saying, okay, I'm a part of it, but I'm still not dancing and enjoying it. There's joy and fun in the breaking and the giving. And sometimes it's not easy, but there is joy in it. And I got a couple examples to show you here today. Our next slide. Here's what it can look like. Do we skip over one? Do we skip the, the one of the runners? Backwards. There we go. Everyone thinks that running a marathon is hard. And it is hard. It does break you and give you. But it also is fun. It gets us dancing again in Jesus' name. Uh, like uh, Brenda and Rebecca, they're in the top left picture. Brenda and Rebecca entered this journey as a mother-daughter combo and have grown closer together in this dance that they call running a marathon. Also, Brenda has lost over 75 pounds in the process. Glenda, who signed up last year to get out of her comfort zone physically, had no idea how Jesus would change her life spiritually by running the marathon. Dylan, he's the young man right in the middle there, the darker picture because of the shadows. Dylan signed up when he was 19 years old. And has done four marathons since then. Just above Dylan is Tracy in the up, upper middle section there. Tracy signed up last year as a 53-year-old. Talk about the voices of doubt inside of her helmet. She took off that helmet and her first race ever was a Chicago Marathon. And she told me yesterday that when she was sitting there hearing that call to say yes, to get into the dance, to start dancing with Jesus, she audibly heard God tell her, Tracy, stop worrying about life. I'm holding you. Go out and serve those who are in the greatest of need. It's not like the voices of doubt left her. She had to face them. But just like Antonio Brown did in, the, in that commercial, she proclaimed that, no, this is what her God wanted to do to those voices of doubt the rest of the season and finished the marathon and signing back up again this year. Mindy, Courtney, and, and Frank right there in the middle, they signed up a couple years ago just looking to get involved with something and said yes to it. But they're now leaders and young leaders of this team. And they now have a place in ministry that's challenging them to not just do a marathon but lead people and shepherd this group to the finish line. Scott Graber, who's the guy all the way on the right there, Scott Graber signed up four years ago because he's a lifelong educator and just lost his first student to cancer. He lost a fifth grader that he loved and cared to cancer, and his life was wrecked, and he wanted to do something. So in the name of Jesus and, the, and in the honor and memory of a student that he lost, he ran for other kids on the other side of the world. He was broken and given, and now Scott's going to take on his fourth one this year. And I'll end with Tara Torres. Tara is in that middle picture as well. Tara, last, or in 2015, 
she signed up for her first marathon, and she came to the meeting right afterwards, and she signed the commitment form, and then she told me, she told me this story yesterday, that she went out to her car and just started bawling. <laughs> because she knew she was about to be broken and given. But nine months later, that same woman crossed the finish line of her first ever marathon and started crying again, but they were different tears. They were tears of joy that she was dancing and saying yes. And what's crazy about saying yes, and what's crazy about when you, when you take off that helmet, and this is where that sports center analogy falls flat, is it doesn't show you the ripple effect. It doesn't show you what else is going to happen throughout the world. And I want to end our time together today by telling you a story of one of my role models. I first met Jen Kipsong in the summer of 2015. And if you ever get a chance to go on one of our trips to see these water projects, we go project to project, and they all typically flow in the same order, where you show up to a project, and the Water Users Association, who's in charge of it, side note, World Vision doesn't just build a well or build a pipeline, they teach the community how to take care of it, and then they actually, the community forms a Water Users Association, and they even charge some families who can afford it, so they can break, they can pay for it when it breaks, so that World Vision can leave, and they're not dependent on donations anymore. I could preach a whole sermon on that model of development, called empowerment model. But typically when you show up to these things, men take the stage and they talk to you and they tell you about this water project. We pulled up this water project and all of a sudden the first woman I've ever seen address anybody publicly in Kenya comes up front and center and starts speaking with power and authority and everyone just shuts up. All the kids, tons of kids behind her, they all just listen to this woman. And she starts saying, welcome to our water project. Notice how she said our water project. Thank you, World Vision, for helping us with our water project. And I caught that. I'm like, ooh, first person to ever say our water project. I said, I thought it was ours at World Vision. I'm a staff member. But I love that, how she said it's ours. And for the next few minutes, she tells a story because one of, us, one of my group asked the question, Jen, why, what made you want to start helping get this water? She said, 30 years ago, almost to the month, I had my firstborn son. And three days after having my son, I had to strap my son to my front and walk over six kilometers, nearly four miles to get dirty water with a jerry can on my back. I had to fill that jerry can up about 35 to 40 pounds and then walk close to four miles back with other mothers of young children. And at that moment, I realized that something needed to change. And at that moment, she said this. She said, the moment God was calling me to help get clean water to my village. Jen took off her comfort zone helmet and said yes to that calling. And for the next 30 years, she had to say yes over and over again. It took her 30 years to bring clean water to her village. And that struck me in my gut because at the time I heard this story, I was exactly 30 years old. Come to find out, I'm one month and three days older than her firstborn son. For my whole life, when I've been saying no to the callings of God, she's been saying yes to this. I was so inspired that I came back and I said, we got to do something to tell this woman's story. Because that is Jesus embodied. That is the calling to say yes to God's love and God's service. That is the way, the truth, and the life embodied. So we made an award for in her name that we give our leaders and captains who have been serving for a number of years to honor their longevity. And it's, that award says in the same way that Jen said yes for 30 years, that served and petitioned for 30 years, we acknowledge and are grateful for your leadership. God's got a weird way of irony, right? Like I said no to preaching, now I'm here today. <laughs> Left Jen in 2015, never thinking I would see her again. The next year I got to go back to Kenya, but it's a massive country. What are the chances I'm going to run into her again? Just in case I printed a picture of that award and had it in my backpack. Showed up to a school, a different school, different water project. Kids are doing their thing. Out comes the lead teacher to do a presentation about the water. Guess who shows up? 
Jan Kipps on. <laughs> My heart drops and we reunite and we, we, we have a moment where we talk to each other about what the last year's been. I tell her how I've been telling her story. And then I got a picture of this. I got to give Jen Kipsong the Jen Kipsong Leadership Award. <laughs> it was pretty amazing. And she was blown away. She was blown away that actually her story was told and that we made a leadership award. And, and, and can you imagine getting a leadership award with your own name on it, not knowing it was coming? And then having to give an impromptu speech, she gave a six or seven impromptu, minute impromptu speech, and she had three points in that speech. Her first reaction, I wish I had the video to play, her first reaction, the first words out of her mouth was, oh, I didn't know I was a leader. Most yes people don't know that. Her second reaction was she started to talk to her students. She ignored me and the other white Americans, and she started talking to her students, and she started speaking truth to them. She said, I want you to hear this in front of everybody today, that Jesus came from a small, dusty town called Nazareth. The Savior of the world came from a small, dusty town called Nazareth. And here today, as I receive this award, I want to tell you kids who are from a small, dusty town called Bartavo, Kenya, that you can say yes to this, that you can do this. She immediately turned that attention to those she served. Then as she wrapped her speech up, she ended with these words, for us to go back to everyone in the U.S. and tell them I'll do better. I'll do better. I promise I'll do better. And I want to celebrate and say, Jen, you said yes, you did it. But what she knows is that God continually calls us to do more, to serve more, to take on new challenges on behalf of others. And she's not done yet. So I know you guys are about to ramp up into a different series about overcoming. And I know there's going to be a lot of conversations of things you can say yes to here at Real Life. But I want to break it down even more simple than that. What if over the next six days until next Sunday, the next week, you just said yes to the little nudgings of the Holy Spirit, said yes to those little moments of doing something kind for somebody else or asking for forgiveness when you know you should. If you did that and showed up back in this room, you would be a different person in seven days and so would people around you. If you took off that comfort zone helmet, if you said yes, you'd listen, ignore those voices of doubt. But there's one more thing i got to challenge you to do. I want to challenge everyone in here to consider running the marathon this year. I knew there was going to be laughs. <laughs> I know those voices of doubt, what they sound like to you. I know them all too well. They're saying you're too old, you're too out of shape, this isn't for you. This is way too big. Go back to doing that six-day thing he was talking about. Open some doors, shovel some snow. Don't run a marathon. Hear me say this, you can do it. We have a beginner training program that I've kindly named the couch to finish line and then back to the couch the day after the race program. <laughs> Last year we had 1,600 runners do the marathon and 80% of them were brand new to running. We are the slow team out there. We can do it. And your life will be changed in the process and you will bring clean water to kids like Francis. You will empower people like Jen Kipsong and you will look back three years later and not know why you are where you are because God took you on a journey that transformed your life called running a stinking marathon with your church. So we're about to show a quick video and I'm going to walk off stage. And this video, what I like about this video is it talks about that theme of saying yes. What I don't like about this video is it gives you four minutes to make an excuse to not come to the info session after church. Today and today only, we're going to do a quick meeting right after church, right down front in these seats right there. So you're all, you can just stay seated. Thanks for coming to the marathon meeting. This is your chance to hear more about it, because we're only doing this meeting today. So if you have any twinge in your gut or, or a twinkle in your eye of possibility, don't let those Neil Everett voices of doubt drown you out just from hearing more right after service. Thank you.
2006, one man heard a divine whisper that he could help the most vulnerable kids in the world by running marathons. So he said yes. He felt God ask him to invite others into the same vision, so he did. Many people felt scared of the unknown, anxious and doubtful that they could accomplish such a big goal. For some of them, fear prevailed, and they said no. But many people pushed through that fear, and they said yes. The first year, a hundred people said yes. The next year, 400 said yes. Then a thousand, then 2,000. And a funny thing started to happen. As people said yes to new challenges and to changing the lives of kids and communities in Africa, their own lives started to change in drastic ways. I started this year, this is my first year. I have only been out of a wheelchair for two years now. In the beginning, I was like, mm, my knees, I got too much weight, mm, hold on. But I stuck with it. When I first was introduced to Team World Vision, I was a smoker, and I knew I needed to quit. Uh, but that instantly was in my mind, like, oh, I can't do it. But I did know that I wanted to prove to myself that I could do something athletic, because I was always told that I'd, like, I'd never be good at anything that's athletic. So when I heard about World Vision, I was like, hey, why not give it a try? And plus, the goal of like bringing clean water, that like, that's beautiful, so I was like, this is something I really want to do. And I just went all in. I thought, I'm 55, why not? Bev did it at 60, I'll do it at 55. <laughs> we really did a lot of training, just the two of us, and it was just such a bonding moment of that, that time when you, your, your strength is faltering and the person next to you yeah. carries you through. Well, I've lost 75 pounds through this, which is my doctor is ecstatic. I used to do world missions back in my 20s, a lot of relief mission work overseas, and then got in my 30s and kind of fell away. Fell away from the Lord, fell away from that, fell away from the commitment and thinking about people overseas. And uh, this has really brought me back, helped me recommit my life to the Lord, but uh, also to those less fortunate. So it's been, a, been very good for me. And I couldn't imagine my seven-year-old having to go run and get water for our family. So. That's what keeps me motivated and focused. I plan on running a marathon every single year until I die. Whoa! We'll see how that happens or how that goes. Over the last 10 years, over 25,000 people have joined Team World Vision and they just keep saying that magic word, yes. Every one of those yeses also represents kids in Africa who get to say yes to life, yes to health, yes to an education, yes to hope. Hundreds of thousands of kids. When we continually say yes to the whisper, we say yes to personal transformation and yes to hope and life for kids. Every movement, every revival, every revolution in the history of mankind has begun because someone said yes. They are yes people. We are yes people. You are one too. As long as there are children in this world without clean water, we will continue saying yes. So, yeah. As your, uh, as your pastor, I, I want something for you. Uh, I want you, if you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, uh, I, I want to ask you something, a question, because it's something I want for you. If you're a Christian, are you on the bench, or are you in the game? 
And what I want for you as a pastor is I want you to experience, like Rusty talked about, the joy and the purpose and the power that comes from being in the game. And in the game is just simply saying, like Rusty said, saying yes. We're going to talk about that in the next series. But And that, that yes for you may be just sitting at that information meeting. It may be signing up to work with kids. It may be working at the garden. It may be starting something brand new. I don't know what it is for you. But that's how, it's, that's how you get in the game is you, you say yes. Well, we always leave you with a blessing. Would you stand with me? We always want you to go out of here knowing the blessing of God over your life. And you'll see people around you holding out their hands. It's their way of saying, I'd love to receive a blessing. And it's, it's just a tangible expression for them. And if you're comfortable with that and you would like to do that, please do. If not, that's okay. But receive this blessing. May you know the love of God that's for every tribe, color, tongue, and language around the globe. And may you know that that love is for you too. So you're sent out to love God with all of your heart, to love people, to let them in, and to serve the world that Jesus came to redeem and change in his name. See ya. Hug somebody. Tell them you love them. Info meeting right now. <laughs>